0: Y'a console consigne console Yacon Seul consigne console Y'a conséquent console console Y a console 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 un t'imani in Ka Pari, Jin Fi Fi Karbela, Salu Allah, Muhammad, Oli, Muhammad. Allah, Allah, Muhammad, Allah, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. بسم الله الرحمن Alhamdulillah, he lavilla Yablo who made the hatohole loan. While a Yorcina adun, Wala yuaddi Uadi hatohole much tahidun. A lavilla Yoderico who borrowed all the hemum, while a Yanello who goes all salam, I la Ashifal and Bia, I Habibi quloobina wa tabibi nufusina wa shafi'i dhunubina, Sayyidina wa maulana abil qasimi mohammad. I I'm sorry? To come in front. First. Yes, okay, sure. وعلى بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين للمظلومين لا سيما بقيه الله في الارضين صاحب العصر والزمان خَلِيفَةُ الرحمن امام الانس والجان ولعن الله وعداهم اجمعين الى يوم الدين اما بعد فقد قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه واله ان الحسين مسباحه الحداث والسفينة النجاح صلوا على محمد وآل محمد. before I begin, I've been asked uh, to request all of you humbly to please move a little bit forward if you don't mind. Uh, with one loud salawat ala Muhammad waali Muhammad please. Those who came early to grab a spot on the wall, I understand, don't worry, it's okay. InshaAllah. You are the Ahlul Divar, inshaAllah, no worries. Sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad, please. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the arrival of the night of the first of Muharram, 1441. These are Special days ahead of us, days that I think we look forward to all throughout the year. On a personal note, let me express my gratitude and my appreciation for the Jamaat here in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, for allowing me to spend these very crucial days with all of you. I am with you for the next 10 to 11 nights, inshallah, and there is a topic in mind that I have. But I will get to my topic tomorrow, inshallah. Today, as I like to do, is every year as I set the ground a little bit for these next few nights. The reality is that these are days that have all the tools necessary for a reform, a revolution, and a revival. If I am to, if I was to summarize all the majority of the different emails that we receive the messages that we receive, and summarize it into one or two issues. One of the main ones is that everybody always searches for ways to make themselves a better person. And sometimes the biggest issue we have, especially with our youth, is that they're riddled with guilt. That I should be a better person and I'm not. And these are days that have all the necessary tools for us to actually reach that reformation and revolution. It's up to us now to tap into that. It's up to us now to use these next 12 nights to reform within. Now we can be stuck on timings, we can be stuck on rituals, we we can be stuck on other things and discuss why we do this and why we debate this and our youth sometimes question a lot and that's up to all of you to do that. Or we can use this power, this jazba, this energy we have inside of us that pulls us out of our homes to begin the revolution process. It takes ten nights. Sometimes it takes one night. But there's not a person in this room or anyone hearing me anywhere else in this building that doesn't want this inner revolution. All of us are striving and dying to become a better person than yesterday. That's a reality. And sometimes we fall into the abyss of hopelessness to the point where we think, you know what, I cannot reach the level that the ulama talk about on the mimbar. And then Muharrem arrives. And and, and with it, Muharrem brings this amazing energy. And no matter how hard I try to understand it, I can't. Now there's been research done, ulama have written books and articles and speeches and lectures and their tahqiq has been done and pieces have been written on this movement of Imam Hussein during the days of Muharram. But the reality is that this building will never be as packed as it will be the next 10 nights. So with it comes a responsibility from me on the member and also from all of you on where you're sitting right now. And as a muqaddama, as an introductory discussion tonight to set the grounds, it's the night of the first of Muharram. I want to make sure that we're entering these ten nights, me with you as well, on the right foot with the right mentality. Because everybody here has their own specific connection to Imam Hussein, And we don't know what that connection is. We know what my connection is, I don't know what the guy beside me is all about. So, I want to speak a little bit about a couple of points tonight and then set the ground for the next few nights that I'm with you. Introduce my topic, the content we begin tomorrow, inshallah. Sallallahu wa sallam wa wa If we examine the word mawaddah, The word mawadda in the Quran appears in two different philosophies or under two different concepts. One is a concept of aqidah, one is a concept of the social fabric of the family. One is where it mentions in the Quran that the Prophet of Allah was the only Prophet of the 124,000 Prophets that actually asked for a reward from his ummah. No other Prophet did that But our Holy Prophet After having completed the religion And giving the perfect sharia And the book of the Quran Etc, etc He now is asking A reward from his ummah And from his nation Not for him of course But for all of us And what is that? He wants us to have mawaddatun fil qurba That mawaddah for his family That's on one side On the other side the discussion on that happens when Allah describes the beautiful institution of marriage. From Surah Rum. Actually refers to the idea of marriage as one of his signs. an min anfusikum taskunu ilayha right? That from amongst his signs is that what he has created for you and from you spouse. Spouses, azwaj. So you may find serenity in them. And then he says, وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ And he is the one who has placed between you, between the, the spouses, مَوَدَّةٌ and rahma. Okay? So let's, let's understand a little bit very quickly, مَوَدَّةٌ is not my topic, don't worry, but very quickly what مَوَدَّةٌ means. Mawadda sometimes is translated in the English translations as love. It's not love, it's not love. It's one notch higher than love. Mawadda is that reality where you verbally express your love for somebody, then you back it up with action. Okay? Let's take our marriages for example. You can claim to love your wife all you want, and you can tell her all the, those great Shakespearean lines how much you love her and how much she's your world and the moon, the stars and the sky and everything, high, high, everything. But when you don't back it up with action, after a while the words become meaningless. She'll tell you, look, if you love me, you'll lose 20 pounds, right? If you love me, you'll buy me sometimes, this and that. If you love me, you'll do this for me and vice versa. So while love is a verbalization, it's mawadda that comes in and backs up with action. And one of the primary reasons why there is so much difficulty in today's marriages, across the world really, is this issue of mawadda. And mawadda requires us to know the language of love of the person that we love. Please follow me. The language of love... What is it that I need to do to ensure the person in front of me understands that I love them? So if you can figure that out with your spouse, that's half the battle. And vice versa, like I said, the wife has to know the language of love of the spouse and vice versa. Many times you'll say, look Milana, I bought her a dozen roses. I make sure the house is clean, let's say for example. I support him in everything that he does. And yet he still questions my love for me. Well, something is wrong there. That means that you don't understand his language of love. He is looking for something else from you. But on your side, for sure I love her. For sure I love him. There's no doubt about it. When you come to the idea that the Prophet is asking for mawadda from us for the Ahlul Bayt, he's asking for us to identify the language of love of the Ahlul Bayt. There are people in this world on the 13th of Rajab, when it comes to the Wiladat of Amidul Mu'maneen, alayhi salatu Allahumma who hold a huge party in the streets of their city. They hire dancers, and they watch as these people dance in the streets. And they clap along. If you ask them, do you love Amida Mu'man? Of course we love Amida Mu'man. It's exactly why we're doing what we're doing. Hire dancers, sit there and watch the tamasha unfold in the streets of whatever city you're in. All in the idea that this is the day of the birth of my maula. You ask Amida Mu'man, he'll say, I reject this. So while he'll, he'll say that, Mola, I love you. He'll say, I don't want this love from you. You might express that love for me, but I want the action backed up with it. If you want to show that you love me, follow my seerah. Follow my path. Emulate the things I left behind for you. There are people who love them to the point where now billah, they believe them to be God. And he sends a la'anat on those people. Yet if you ask them, say, I love Ali. That, that means that they don't understand the language of love of Amirul Mu'mineen. We enter the first day of the month of Muharram, and I ask myself, before I ask all of you, what is the language of love of Imam Hussein? What is the language of love? We will come for every single night, we'll dress ourselves in black, we'll sacrifice ourselves, we'll pour some money in, we'll come, we'll beat our chest, we'll we'll, we'll cry, we might even donate a good amount. Is that enough? Because the reality is that Hindus cry for Hussein, Christians cry for Hussein, Jews cry for Hussein, Buddhists cry for Hussein. What's the walk in a matter of a few days? How many delegations from different parts of the world and different faiths come just to send their salams to Aba Abdullah. And then there's all of us who understand that not only was this a man who sacrificed what he did on the plains of Karbala, but he is the hujjat of Allah. He is the wali of Allah. We accept him to be the wali of Allah. Meaning what our language of love is far different than anyone else's language of love. And part of the language of love in these days of Imam Hussein, where no doubt everyone is in this room right now because they have immense love for Aba Abdullah al Hussein. What do you think Imam Hussein wants from us in these 10 nights? Now a lot of you will do your own personal sacrifice. A lot of you. People don't watch television People don't eat meat, people don't, let's say for example, wear shoes, they don't sleep on the bed. They do whatever they can to ensure that I am in the state of mourning. May Allah accept that. That's an amazing sacrifice. But can we do more? Can we not use these ten nights as a catalyst for change inside of us? Can we not use this as a springboard for an inner inqilab, an inner revolution? at a time where the world is moving towards moral bankruptcy, I have this golden opportunity in front of me. These next 10 nights, the heart is softened, the mind is focused, the dunya doesn't matter. You'll be tired, you'll be exhausted, but the thought of you staying at home on the 8th of Muharram, the 7th of Muharram is not an option. You'll pack up your children, you put them to sleep in the daytime, you bring out the black clothes, you sew them and you iron them and you get them ready, and you legitimately prepare yourself to grieve for Imam Hussein. No other nation does that. No other nation does that. Nobody ever anticipates the sorrow that we anticipate Imam Hussein's grief with. And it is this tasalli, this, this contentment we have, the moment that the that, that first tear drops, we feel this sense of calmness about us. Think about what we're doing. We're bringing ourselves into an environment like this, and every single night at the end of the speech, I will, what? I will tell you events of a very gruesome killing of a young individual. It's not easy to hear, nor is easy, easy to say. But yet somehow, if I, if, if I speak without Masaib you'll have a thousand complaints against me. And you should. I, mean, I want to cry for Imam Hussein. Tell me about Abu al-Fazl al-Abbas. Tell me about Ali Akbar. Tell me about the zulm done to the body of Abu Abdullah after the day of Ashura. I want to hear it. I want to cry. It's incredible. It's an institution that we have taken for granted. And we don't realize the gem that we have in front of us. And, I, and I, fear, I fear the thought that someone like me takes it as something of, a, of an annual commemoration, a checklist, something that we do. When the reality is, it is an opportunity for change. And that change has to start within. After that change within begins, then we start to look at each other. It's a social reform as well. Look, let me give you a couple examples. The Qur'an talks about Nabi Musa. Nabi Musa is that prophet that is discussed the most in the Qur'an. His story is told to us in bits and pieces, correct? And those bits and pieces that are relevant to our life. There comes a moment now, and I want you to follow me, I don't have much time tonight. There comes a moment now where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs the Prophet Musa and Prophet Harun to go now and speak to Fir'aun. Correct? إِذْهَبَ إِلَىٰ فِرْعَوْنَ إِنَّهُ taghā Surah Taha says, verse number 43, that now both of you, idhaba, <speaking in Hebrew> both of you now go to Fir'aun for he has transgressed, he's become part of the, 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 the Taghut now, he's gone away from Allah. The very next verse Allah instructs Nabi Musa how to talk to Fir'aun. لُهُ لَيِّنَا لَعَلُّهُ يَتَذَكُرُ أَوْ يغشى. Beautiful verse, beautiful verse. Such a powerful message in it. Look at what Allah is asking Nabi Musa to do. When you go and talk to Fir'aun, keep in mind who the person is that Nabi Musa is being sent to. Fir'aun, an open enemy of Allah. Open enemy. Surah Qasas talks about the fact that he even had the gall to say, What? Very powerful verse. He says, Oh my chiefs, my chiefs, I don't know anyone who's more worthy for you to worship than me. Baba, it's one thing where you control my finances, right? You control everything about me. I work and you get a cut of mine. My worship is my business. Who I worship is not in your business. But Fir'aun had that much control on the people that Hatta, even who to worship, they would tell that, Look, you've worshiped me. It's a direct enmity towards Allah. This idea of this idol and that idol and Musa's God, all of that is rejected. You want to worship somebody, worship me. I'm the best one to worship. That Fir'aun oh, Nabi Musa is being told not to talk to him. Speak to him but a soft tongue, Musa. an lahaja as you say in Urdu. Don't be rough with him, don't be tough with him. Why Allah? Why Fir'aun? This is not one of your believers. This is not one of your supporters. An outright enemy of yours. Allah explains. That maybe, just maybe, just maybe, because of your tone, he might, <coughs> he might remember me and have khusu in his heart for me and come back to me. Who? Fir'aun. Meaning what? In Allah's world, there's nobody. Who's gone so far, where there's no point of return? Allah is sending a very clear message to us that in my world, in my sidat, in my sunnat ilahi, in my world, Allah says everyone has a fighting chance to come back to me, hatta Fir'aun, even Fir'aun. But it takes sometimes the lahja of Nabi Musa, the tone of Nabi Musa, to maybe instigate that change. The softening of a hard heart that goes around telling people to worship me, worship me, worship me. Which brings me to my second point. And that is that this commemoration is an inclusive commemoration. What I mean by that is this. That sometimes there are people who come only for these ten nights. Right? There are people who sometimes only come from the 7th of Muharram. There are people who will only show up on the day of Ashura. And we as people who frequent the mosque all year round, sometimes, I've seen it with my own eyes, sometimes we look at them with eyes of judgment. We even have these nice quirky little labels for them, right? Dustin Kishia, they say. A 10-day Shia. An Ashura Shia. Right? And those who come to every Shabir Jummah program and every Wiladat and every program, a man walks in that they haven't seen since last Ashura, and these eyes of judgment are all over him. That, oh, look who decided to show up. Look who's here. And I ask you humbly, as a brother and a son of yours who you've met only for 20 minutes now, I ask you humbly. One of the reasons why a lot of people don't come to the mosque is because they feel like they're judged. In every aspect, from the length of their hair, the colors that they wear, the tightness of their clothes, how they walk, and I'm not condoning any of that, but this is that farsh azza. this is that commemoration that attracts every single person at all levels. And the reality is that we don't know at what point in their life are they entering this we don't know the impact of our tone. If Allah is saying to Nabi Musa that maybe with your soft tone Pharaoh might melt, then maybe with our soft tone, an 18-year-old who's fighting to find identity might melt. But if that 18-year-old walks in through that door and the first comment he's hear, he hears is something negative, he'll turn around and walk right back out and tell himself, you know what, I knew coming here was a mistake Let's be very careful This is not anyone's Hussain This is everyone's Hussain We have companions On the day of Ashura With all due respect Who had no business being there Beside Imam Hussain Zuhre ibn Iqen is one example This was a man who didn't believe In the hujjat of the Bayt, Who believed in Mulla Ali As the fourth Khalifa had no plans to go to Imam Hussein and join him to Karbala. After Hajj he went, he had one meeting with Hussein ibn Ali, his entire mood changed. And he played a vital role the day of Ashura. Meanwhile there were, there were, there were people in Medina who should have been there beside Imam Hussein, and it wasn't there. Look, there are some people who can walk five kilometers, there are some people who can walk only one kilometer, Right? The people who walk five kilometers have no business to say, look, you're only a one kilometer guy. Don't you dare even attempt to walk. This is not your walk. It's my walk. I'm a 5K walker. You're a 1K walker. There were plenty of 1K walkers on the day of Ashura that were converted to 5K walkers immediately. All because they were beside Imam Hussein. Sometimes the vicar of this great man is enough to instigate that turning back towards the deen. there's lots of people in this room who are searching for a path back to the deen. And sometimes with our words, we don't understand it. But sometimes we want, we halt that progress. Let me tell you one simple story. (laughs) Sallu ala Muhammad, ala Muhammad, please. Story I told last year. It's a very powerful story, one that has impacted me quite a bit Has taught me a lot of lessons There was a A Hauza student Who was studying in the Hausa in Qom After a couple of years of studying He goes to his teacher and says Ustad I want to study in Najaf Back then Najaf was the Markaz of Islamic studies. Anybody who's anybody went through Najaf. Ustaz says, sure, go ahead. It's a good idea. Now it's a Taliban, right? He's a student in the house. He doesn't have much money. Life is difficult. Trying to scrape by here and there. So what he decides to do is he decides to attach himself to a qafila, a caravan, that's traveling now towards Najaf for ziyarat Jumps in on board. Now back then what was norm was that these robbers would wait on the path of this caravan and would pick an opportune time to rob this qafila. So now lo and behold he's on his way towards Najaf now with his qafila, and they decide one night to pitch up their tents and spend the night and resume their journey the next morning. In the middle of that night now the robbers strike. They come and they begin to loot and rob the qafla. Whatever you have, whatever ownings you have, whatever you have in your possessions, put them in front of me one by one. Let's empty out your bags, let's go. All this guy had were his books. That's it. Puts his his books inside the middle and moves away. Well, when he's done, the robber, about to leave, a lot of himmat, a lot of courage, the young man now approaches the robber and says, look, in the middle of the pile of your possessions are my books. These books are useless to you. They're ripped up. They're old. They have notes inside them that I wrote wrote with myself. They have no value to you. You'll get nothing from them in the market. Just give me my books back. The robber says, in the distance, there's a hill. There's a light there. There's a man standing on that hill. He's my boss. Go and ask him. If he says yes, you get your books back. Now this young man now, with courage now, walks up to this hill. He sees a man, but this man is praying Namaz shab He waits until he's finished and says, uh, Excuse me, are you the, the boss of this operation? He says, Yes, I am. <laughs> he says, Well, one of your robbers, your employees, has my books. I'm a student in the house. I'm going to Najaf to study. I want my books back. They're no value of yours. He summons his, his employee over, he gives him his books back. Now, again, he grabs his books, about to go back, but the curiosity is killing him, right? Turns back and says, look, can I ask you something? he sure. On one side, you rob and loot innocent lives, going to, to, to send a salam to their mullah. On the other side, you're praying namaz shab The boss, paused for a moment. Says no one's ever asked me that question before. The reality is it's the one thing I do. The only thing I do for God is this Namazha. I don't sleep at night, right? My business hours are, are, are at night, obviously. So I'm up. It's the one thing I do. Sometimes wallahi, I tell you, we do the same thing. We, we do one good act, or I do one good act to justify the ten bad acts that I do. At least I do this. And somehow it cushions the blow of all the mistakes that I make day in and day out. This man was no different. The student said, okay, fine, grab the books and went to Najaf now. He begins his studies. One day he goes to the haram of Amir al-Mu'maneen for his ziyarat. And during his ziyarat, he hears this man who's wailing and crying on his knees in front of the dhari of Amir al Goes around the corner, sees lo and behold, the boss is on his knees in front of the dari of Amid al Picks him up. He says that, do you remember who I am? I'm the book guy from the Qafila." He says, yes. He goes, you're here. He says, your one question. Your one question triggered everything inside of me. I'm here to beg Allah for his forgiveness through Amid al we don't know sometimes what one sentence and the impact it has on people. Just one. We also have no idea at what stage in their life the people who walk in through that door are at. We don't know. Because the reality is that one thing that we've mastered in 2019 is that we've mastered the idea of putting on a great face. Social media has taught us that my life is perfect. So I have pictures of me on vacation. I got pictures of me and my wife and my husband and my kids and my new car and my new phone and my new house and blah, blah, blah. And we're sitting there saying, wow, this guy's got it made, man. His life is amazing. Look at him. Meanwhile, inside, they're dying inside. There are some people in this room right now who have hit rock bottom. Rock bottom, scratching the surface of rock bottom. And they've tried everything throughout the year to somehow numb this pain inside of them. They've tried everything. They've tried to go down the route of drugs to somehow numb it by me getting high. They've tried the route of alcohol, let me get drunk and numb the pain. They've tried the idea of gambling. Let me kind of consume myself at the casino, I can numb the pain. They've tried everything and nothing ever works. Because what you have now, you have this gaping hole of rock bottom, then you have this guilt on top of that, of drugs and alcohol and gambling and womanizing, and the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you fall deeper and deeper in the abyss of depression. It doesn't work. And then it's announced that tomorrow is the first of Muharram. And with your broken pieces now, you end up at that door. Knowing full well that I have not set foot in this building since last Ashura. a lot of courage now. This man now parks his car, walks up those stairs, enters the hall. He already feels like every single eye is on me. waiting for someone to make a comment, waiting for a look, waiting for something, a hmm, a hum any sound to confirm the fact that I shouldn't be here. Then he walks in through that door and the first person he sees that say, is me and I make some foolish comment to try to be funny and every fear of his is confirmed. And he tells himself, I knew I should not have come today. Or the opposite might happen. He might walk in through that door and the first person he he meets is one of you beautiful brothers. And you might embrace him and say, do you know how much I've missed you? Do you know how happy I am to see you? Come sit beside me. Once this guy is done speaking his gibberish, then let's have some tea. Let's break some bread tell me about what's been going on, how's your family, how, how are your studies, how's business. And right away those fears now begin to remove themselves one by one. I've seen it and so have you. That one by one as you break bread and you soften that and you break that wall in front of them, they begin to realize that my solution has always been this farsh e Azav Abdullah al husayn I just went this door and that door and this door and that door and one by one every single door slammed themselves to my face. And that door is wide open for me. You want to come, you come. This is not the place for the ma'sumin. It's not the place for the infallible. It's not the place for people who spend all year round in the masjid. No. This is the place where you pick up your broken pieces inside of you and he helps you glue the pieces together. This is the place. Now, if I was to say a comment, or you were to say a comment, or even for a moment, judge that someone who walks in and their hair is a bit too long, or they're wearing the wrong color, or they don't even say salam, walana to us, or they sit, let's say, way in the back with their legs out, what's he doing here? He's ruining the mahfil and the majlis. He has no etiquette, and that's a different topic altogether. I'm not condoning that behavior. I'm saying you don't know with which umid and hope people walk in through that door. You don't know. But the idea is that we do. We do come here with the hopes that maybe I might find that spark and convert that spark to light. Because the reality is that when you hit rock bottom, the first person that you should call is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are people in this room who I know, we all have our struggles, we all have our tragedies. Everyone here can write their own books. There are people right now, like I said, who are going through their own respective tragedy right now. Those tears are right there at the cusp of their eye. Nothing makes sense anymore. The dunya now is a horrible place. Everything is bitter, bittersweet. I can't find the courage to get up in the morning. That's how difficult life is right now. Nothing right now around me is working. And you come with that destructive nature inside of you, and you come and you enter this much majlis. Look, let me give you a very simple example. Sallu ala Muhammad, Muhammad, please. I want you to imagine that your phone rings at four o'clock in the morning. That four a.m. call is never a good call, right? It's never a call where people say, "Oh, look, I found a sick deal of shoes online. Go online right now and buy those shoes." It's never a four a.m. call. The four a.m. call is always, "Oh my God, what's wrong?" At four a.m., your friend calls you. You pick up, and he's he is a mess. At four o'clock in the morning, he's a mess. He's stuttering, he's fumbling, he's bumbling over his words, he's emotional, he's crying, he's screaming, he cannot make sense of anything he's saying to you. All he's saying to you is that, look bro, I've hit rock bottom, I need you to come and get me from this place. Please follow my example. You're his boy, you're his brother, you get up, you put your pants on, you put your shoes on and you're out the door and you go wherever he says to go. And you go and you grab a coffee and you sit there and you listen to him for half an hour, 40 minutes now. He is done now. He's a little bit better. He's in a better state. You drop him home, let's say, and you come home. That 4 a.m. call tells you a lot. Not about him, but about you. And where you are in terms of his life. Correct? You think to yourself, oh my goodness, this, this brother of mine hit rock bottom. I've never seen him like that, Molana. I've never seen him lose control like that in my life. And the first person he thought to call was me. Which means what? That I must be very, very near and dear to him. He thought to himself, the one person that could pull me out from rock bottom was you, so I called you. And lo and behold, he was right. You went running like a brother and you pulled him out. Because how we react and what we do when we hit rock bottom is sometimes what our asliyat is, what our reality is. Look at the Qur'an now. Surah Anbiya, a lot of you, mashallah, are the Ahlul Ibadat. You guys recite Namaz al-Ghufayla, do you not? In Namaz al-Ghufayla, the first rakat, we are asked to remind ourselves of the story of Nabi Yunus, the prophet in the belly of the whale, Correct? And that moment, that moment where Nabi Yunus is in the darkness of the whale, the Quran captures that moment very beautifully. In the darkness, in the darkness of that mammal, Nabi Yunus calls out, doesn't complain to God, God, how could you? How dare you? I'm one of your prophets. These were people who didn't listen to me. Instead of you punching them, you put me in the belly of this whale. No. He says, It's my fault. If anything, glory be to you. You're worthy of praise. If anyone messed up, it was me. Meaning what? At rock bottom now, his 4 a.m. call is who? It's to God. It's to God. At 4 a.m. it's to God. Allah captures that moment and retells that moment to us. And then goes on to say that we listened to him, we freed him, وَكَذَٰلِكَ Nunjil الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And we'll do the exact same thing with the believers. Think about it for a moment. A lot of my youth out there, and I see all of you, Mashallah, you're beautiful. A lot of you, think for a moment that because I've hit rock bottom, the last person who wants to hear from me is God. And sometimes we're told that, are we not? Sometimes we're told that. By shaitan, by others, that after the night that you had, you have the gall to wake up for fajr and attempt to pray two rakat salat? Really? You think God wants to hear from you? You think that at that moment where you have done this, this despicable act, you've done something that even you, for you is even bad, and somehow you allowed your nafs to get the better of you, you spent the entire night in sin, and now all of a sudden the Avan's going on and you run towards the masjid? And you think what? Allah is saying, yeah, come. If I were you, shaitan now. If I were you, I would avoid the musallah. I would avoid the ibadat. That's hypocrisy, my man. And Allah does not like, does not like the hypocrite. And we begin to convince ourselves that you're right. So now we've convinced ourselves that Allah doesn't want to hear from me. and now because Allah, Allah doesn't, doesn't want to hear from me. I go what? I go here, I go there, I go there. And now what becomes one sin becomes multiple sins. It becomes a lifestyle. Meanwhile, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is waiting for the 4 a.m. phone call. Think about your feeling when you received that phone call at 4 a.m. That if anybody, if anybody could have rescued him out of this abyss, he thought it was me. It strengthened your bond. It made your brotherhood even stronger. It showed you how much He thinks of you. How much He loves you. How much He respects you. Imagine now, at rock bottom, you call out to Allah. And your 4 a.m. phone call is to God. At rock bottom. Stuttering and mumbling and fumbling and a mess on the musallah. You think God will say, how dare you? You think God will say, how dare you? No God would say at 4 a.m. at rock bottom You had this chance to do that act You had this door to knock on You had this habit to uphold You, re- you rejected all of that And you called on to me What message is, is, is that for God? That means that at rock bottom The first entity he thought about was me Come on He'll embrace that He'll welcome that. Don't let shaitan ever, ever, ever convince you. My youth elder ever convince you that rock bottom is that place where God hates. I'm not, I'm not condoning to go rock bottom and then get, get towards Allah. No. But think about the 4 a.m. phone call. Think about Nabi Yunus. In that darkness, he calls out to Allah. Glorifies him then says, Look, I am the one that does zulm against myself. Allah will take you And say, if you want salvation, my Hussain is that safinatun nijah, is that ark of salvation. Come sit on his farsh. Listen to what's being said. Allow the heart to soften. Allow the tears to flow. Grieve for him. And with that softness of the heart now, begin your transformation slowly. But don't think for a moment that I am at the point of no return. If Pharaoh, if Pharaoh is the one that Allah says, maybe, just maybe, with your Ola he could turn back. Then there's no Fir'auns in this world, are there? In this room right now, are there? You'll tell me that, say You don't know me. You've never met. You have no idea how my closet is. It's full of skeletons. Doesn't matter to me. No sin is greater than the mercy of your Lord. Remember that no sin is greater than the mercy of your Lord. In fact, as Wana Alim said very beautifully, the biggest and the greatest of all sins that you could commit is to convince yourself that my sins are greater than His mercy. That's a sin that is great and Adeem in the eyes of Allah. Sallallahu alaihi wa Muhammad. So my brothers and my sisters, these next 10 nights are monumental for us. On individual, and in faradi level, on a social level, an istimai level. I ask those who are regulars in this mosque, welcome those who are not regulars. I ask you, my elders especially, embrace the youth. Understand that they are searching for something. They're searching for some hope and some salvation. Let's not be those who turn them away from this dhikr. To my youth, I ask you, you search for solutions for your rock bottom in door one, in door two, in door three. If you want that salvation, that door right now is a door that you need. Come with hope. Come with umid. Come with the energy that Hora came to Hussain. And beg Imam Hussein and beg Allah through Imam Hussein rather, to what? To fix me, to pull me from rock bottom. I don't wish to be anywhere else. I wish to be here. And let's not push each other away from this moment. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. And the miracle nature of this Azadari, the miracle nature, many dimensions of it, is the fact that no matter what grief you're going through, We take our drop of grief and we place it in the ocean of Hussein's grief. Doesn't matter what grief you're going through. Every relationship was existing on the day of Ashura and the plains of Karbala. There are some of you who have just recently lost a parent, lost a husband, lost a daughter or a son. There are people in this room who have lost nieces and nephews, uncles and aunts. Best friends. Doesn't matter what you've lost or who you've lost or what relation you've lost, you take that grief and you drop it in the ocean of Ashura. If you are somebody who has lost a brother, then take your heart to that moment where Abu al-Fazl Abbas is lying on the plains of Karbala without any arms. Imam Hussein now has placed his head on his lap. He says to his Aqa and Mawlaa, Remove the arrow from my eye. Remove the dirt from my other eye. My mother told me that when I was born, I didn't open my eyes until I saw you. I want to leave this world now looking at you the very, one, one last time. If you've lost a javan son, a young son, or a young child, think about that moment when Ali Akbar now is mounted on the horse. He moves towards the Maidan of Karbala, and he senses that there's a 57-year-old father stumbling behind him on the horse. He gets down from the horse, embraces his father. Baba, you gave me ijazat. Baba, you gave me permission. And then he says, Ali Akbar, if only you were sahib olad, you would know how difficult this moment is for me to lose a son like you. If you are a niece who has lost her uncle, then come to Karbala, that moment that baby Sakina is holding that cup, <laughs> waiting for Abu al-Fazl to bring water to her. And she sees the Alam And she does not see the Alamdar And she runs out to the Maidan And says Ammu Abbas Your Sakina is not thirsty anymore If you are a wife Who has lost her husband Bring your heart to the days of Arba'een Rabab is sitting at the grave Of Abu Abdullah al-Husayn At the head of Husayn Bibi Zainab says Rabab Let's go back to Medina now We're heading back to Medina And Rabab looks up to Zainab And says Bah who am I going back to? Tell me, I came to Karbala, Sakina's with me, Ali Azgar's with me, my uncle Hosea's with me, I love Sakina in the Zindan of Sham, I buried Ali Azgar, I'm sitting at the grave of my husband, who do I go back to? But Rabab with him and courage goes back to Medina. سَيَعْلَمُ الَّذِينَ ظَلُمُوا أَيَّمُ الْقَلِبِينَ يَنْقَلِبُونَ إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجْعُونَ We ask you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept this qalil ibadat inshaAllah. We ask you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us that taufeeq to benefit from the adab of Abdullah al-Hussein. I ask you Allah please convert the pleasure of sin to the power of worship inside the hearts of our youth we ask you allah to make us worthy and isqabil of the zuhur of imam al-zamana inshallah and to make us stand beside him when he comes wassalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wabarakatuh